Jag vet inte hur många selskaper jag har mött som sliter med att få in professionella investorer till trots för att produkten egentligen är ganska bra och selskapet visar växt och goda tal. Vi säger en ting de proffsiga investorerna på utsikter i tillägg att du bygger ett bra selskap självklart är hur du hanterar dina aktionärer eller ditt så kallade cap table som det heter på startupsk. Ett ödelagt cap table sätter rätt och slett en stopper för selskapsutveckling. Unlisted.ai gör det möjligt för selskaper att hantera aktie- och optionsprogrammer, aktieägarboken, cap table och det mesta av rättigheter in mot aktierna i selskapet på ett sted. Pröv Unlisted.ai sin gratisversion idag. Welcome to this uh, podcast from Shifter. My name is uh, Per Ivan Nikolaisen and uh, we are here at Christian Relic, the sales ship at the, and we are here with Eric Lecher from uh, Byfounders, the founder of uh, Byfounders. What is actually Byfounders? The funny thing as we are here in the middle uh, of the ocean between Oslo and Copenhagen and I think it describes very much uh, what Byfounders is all about. We are a new uh, fund um and we are investing in the next generation of Nordic and Baltic founders. What really brings us all together is the sea. We are all connected by the sea. When uh, I spoke with Johan Brand about entrepreneurship and what he's doing uh, with that uh, initiative, I immediately dialed in and said, this is exactly a extension of what we want to do. We want to bring it forward to the next uh, generation of founders and by creating this community at sea and where we are stuck on this boat for 48 hours it creates a very different bond that we normally have at a conference i hate conferences but what you realize the reason why you go to a conference is to have the conversations in the lobby outside like in the evening that's where you meet the interesting people that's where you have the interesting conversations that's what we're doing here at sea and uh, that's what I want to bring forward. So um, what really we should be proud about in the Nordics is that we are extremely innovative and we actually are doing it much better than we almost know ourselves. We've seen more and more uh, successful companies coming out of the Nordics and many of these successful uh, companies have been founded by really, really uh, great founders that now have the experience and the will to bring it forward to the next generation of founders. And really it's this connecting people and being able to provide a great deal of value, not only money, because there's plenty of capital available these days, both at the early stage and later stage. But what we find is that over and above that, to really uh, foster success, it's essential that we can go in and provide uh, um, operational insight. But who are you then? By founders were started a couple of years ago, uh, where we were a group of people getting together. Tommy Anderson, uh, uh, a good friend of mine, and, and also, uh, you could say, the co-founder of Byfounders, um, and I sat down and we really thought about, like, what are the things that we can do to help the next generation? Tommy Anderson uh, was the co-founder of Lipotone. He's been very entrepreneurial throughout uh, his life and also a very active angel investor. And myself, I came from... Uh, early at Skype, whereas head of mobile, I then joined TradeShift and uh, later on I started my own company that I sold to HP and I've been living in San Francisco for the last, uh, last eight years. But then around us, uh, we have the backing and and uh, of some of the most accomplished founders from the Nordics 
including Johan Brand in uh, in Norway, to mention one, uh, Niklas Sandstrom in Sweden, uh, and the founders of Unity, Sendesk, TradeShift, Trustpilot, Vivino, and many, many other great companies. And what's uh, interesting about what we've set up is really we've asked everyone to contribute to the fund. So they have all invested in the fund, which creates a very different type of engagement. And the key is that we can bring it forward to the next generation of founders. Um, as I mentioned, we just don't want to come with capital. We want to be able to provide uh, insight and help them forward. What we did, like a startup, we did an MVP in uh, Denmark. That was to get it off the ground. We raised the initial money from, from Danish investors and the uh, initial team of the Founders Collective were Danish. That was to prove, can we actually build you know, a startup VC? Uh, secondly, we are now expanding that very rapidly uh, in the Nordics, and you will see over the next couple of months uh, that you will see there will be m many more very interesting and very uh, uh, experienced founders uh, joining uh, the Founders Collective. In Norway, too. In Norway, too, for sure. We've. It's interesting, you know, um, um, we've spoken with a number of, of VCs about how they see the no uh, Norwegian market specifically. And um, and we've been a little bit puzzled because what we find is that it's really uh, 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 fast growing and uh, high quality of, um, of of founders. Still, the presence of VCs here is fairly lim limited. There's a, a, a very strong uh, angel uh, setup, and uh, and we are very uh, happy to be working with the likes of uh, Trunt Reaper and uh, and others that are helping us again navigate the pre-seed uh, space. Uh, but in the seed and Series A uh, level, we don't see that many uh, VCs uh, involved and, and which is where we actually want to uh, make a strong position ourselves. And, and, and truth be told, we are looking to, to even recruit and have a permanent person uh, uh, working here in Norway for us. But is it something wrong with uh, existing uh, funds and venture capitalists? Why do we need you? Yeah, no, I think you can say we are just doing it different. Uh, we believe that uh, with a strong outset in operational experience, we have the possibility to um, look at the next generation of founders with a strong pattern recognition. When we see you know, great founders from Estonia or from uh, Finland or from Reykjavik in Iceland and talk about what they are planning to do and what they would like to achieve. We can like relate to that and look at, oh, I saw the same type of pattern when Skype was getting off the ground or when Trecha was getting off the ground or when any of the other companies that we our founders have been involved in got off the ground. And we believe that is a really a core, uh, a key source to, to be able to foster the next generation of successful founders. I think, again, we should recognize that at the time when we invest, there's not much more than an idea. There might be some early data points, but other apart from that, there's very little that you can say, okay, this is a proven, you know, five years of, of numbers that we can just say, okay, that makes sense. We really are focusing on early stage, hence we need to have some other metrics that we're looking at. So for us, what at by founders, what we define based on looking at what made Skype and TradeShift and Unity and Sendesk successful was an, a number of key ingredients. We, we, we try to keep it simple. So we, we call it the seven T's. 
for anyone that's listening to that, I hope they will use that as well as inspiration when they are looking to do a startup or if they're already doing a startup, try to use that as a measurement for seeing where they're headed and whether that is actually a venture case and something that by founders or any other VC would be interested in investing in. But the key for us is the team. At the end of the day, we invest in founders. You can very, very quickly fall in love with great ideas, but those who execute, those who make it happen are the founders. And if we are not sure about the capabilities of founders, there's a high risk. Imagine like, or remember, like a startup, it can take five, 10 years easily. This is a marriage. And you don't just like, hey, let's go on a date and let's then get married. No, you spent time in really understanding is this partner of yours going to be the right one? Does he or she has the right capabilities to bring this forward? But how, how do you see a good team? What, what is it about? This is the skill set in, uh, in programming, coding? Is it the persons? So, for example, from time to time, we have single founders coming. And already that is a red flag. You know, it's a long journey, right? And being alone out there is just very difficult. And also might be a sign that the person is not very good at working with others. Can we see that there are two or three coming together? That's a strength. Secondly, we can then look at the dynamics in the group, how they interact, who's taking the lead, who's contributing, and are they um, also able to complement each other very well? So do we have a strong you know, technical CTO hacker? Do we have a strong... A commercial CEO maybe that's a hustler and do we have a strong product designer that can really bring this whole thing to life um, so so those are the things we're looking at and then but, of yeah. course key is as well do they have the background to do this have they studied at a university they've studied AI and now they're going in and changing the world uh, using AI that makes a ton of sense Are, have they come from a real estate uh, background and suddenly now they're doing a startup to disrupt the whole real estate sp uh, space? When, the, when, when it comes to persons, for, uh, for example, the Beatles, they, yeah. they made great music, but they fight a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, right. Yeah. Can you see that in a group when you, uh, when you meet a startup? If this is a Beatles, is it go or, or is it going to be a smooth thing? Or are there conflicts here uh, that are going to rip the, the band apart? Yeah, no, there's for sure. Like what we are trying to do is actually spend a lot of time with the team and not just in the sales situation. You can say where they are trying to pitch to us. Right. Uh, I would like to come back to that point as well around like the unvalue of, of, of pitching. Uh, but more than like going for walks with them and, and finding out like, you know, what they've done in the past and what makes like what's their definition of success and seeing that the three founders, for example, are they aligned? Are there things that suddenly we can experience that they don't have the same aspiration or one is bullying the two others? Uh, that's obviously things that we 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 believe we can like uh, sift through, but but sometimes we get surprised. But that's why it takes time, and which okay. is why we don't just say yes on the first date. Can you uh, give me some examples on situations where you have been surprised? I, you, I would I would say there's a ton expected. of examples where, you know, we hear great ideas being pitched, 
but we definitely just don't find that the, the team is the right uh, team. And what we are trying to do as well is then it's never no, but we are saying, hey, you might want to really make sure that you are better covered on the commercial side or you're better covered on this so you stand stronger and then seeing how they execute. It also can be that we have the first meetings and then we say, you know what, it'll be great if we can meet in six months' time. Here are the things that we'll be looking at and then seeing how they have executed over that period of time. Uh, but if one is bullying the other, uh, it's kind of difficult to go on, isn't it? Absolutely. And and then we'll, of course, uh, say uh, that this is not a fit for us. But I think so. Team is, is number one. Mm -hmm. Two is total addressable market. Is really, is this a billion dollar business? You know, many people have great ideas, but the problem they're solving is not big enough. Not big enough for us to believe that it can become a global company, right? It's not saying that it's not a good idea and we encourage people to just go on, but don't take it as a loss if we say no, but it's just simply that the total addressable market is too small. The third one is technology. We would like to see that there's some type of rocket science. We see, like to see there's something that's defensible um, and, and, and really can uh, keep them you know, at an edge compared to competitive entry. The fourth one is um, uh, uh, transformative. Can we see that this is changing an industry? Very often people come and pitch a feature, something that you say, this is a natural extension to something that a sales force would build or a HubSpot would build or a, a Facebook would build. But we really like when people are coming and saying, we are changing the whole way how we previously have done this. Now we can do it much more efficient because we see that the real game changers like Spotify, like Skype, like Unity, like TradeShift, they've gone in and transformed an existing industry, disrupted what was there. Then apart from that, we also are looking at uh, trend and, and timing because again, you know, you can very quickly, often many of the founders we meet with are super visionary. They are so visionary that the market, they are five years ahead of the market and they will take five years to convince consumers to change their habit and build into this. And then it's just a long, long uphill battle. And of course, others are like completely off because they were like figuring out something that already is, is red hot right now. And then they are just a follower to this. So timing and, and trend is, is, is also essential. Then the next one is traction. Like, do they have some numbers they can show? And what's key here is we always say, forget about the vanity numbers. We don't care whether they have 500,000 downloads or you know a million, whatever. What we're looking at is monthly active users, daily active users. We're looking at the churn. We're looking at conversion rates throughout the funnel. So we can actually see much more the pulse of the company and seeing, is there a good product market fit? Do their users love what they're doing? Or are they keep on just pushing people into a bucket that's filled with holes? And then the last thing for us and the important piece because we are an investment fund is of course, can we make a 10x return? So when we set a valuation, do we believe that they can be at least 10x that value when they exit at some point of time? What's the range in the investments? So we are focused on uh, uh, seed investment is our primary uh, focus, but we do also from time to time do uh, pre-seed investment, which we uh, do uh, alongside with angel investors 
uh, and we do also do Series A uh, investments, which we also often do alongside uh, larger VCs uh, that we are collaborating with, either from the Nordics, from Europe, or from Silicon Valley, where I'm based. You have told me that you uh, you actually hate peaches. <laughs> yes, that's right. I think you know it's um, you know I'm of course used to YC and and 500 startup and demo days and so on where you need to do a pitch in two uh, two minutes and whatnot and that's the recipe for for that. But in general, what we are saying to anyone that comes and present to us what they're all about, like of course, as I mentioned, it's key that we understand who they are and they spend time on that. But secondly, also, that when they present, they do also show us what I call the ugly slide. What is the ugly slide? It's like, why should I have something that's ugly? We actually would like them to tell us what are the key challenges they have? What are the things that they believe can go wrong? What are the things that keeps them up at night? Because it identifies like areas where we can come in and help them. And secondly, and I think that's also important for us. If they don't tell us this and show that they have an understanding of the space they are in and the problem they are solving and also the issues that might be with that, if they don't tell us that, I'll assume two things. One is they are either hiding something or they are lying or that they are uh, simply ignorant and don't know the issues. And both either being lying and, 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 or ignorant is not a good recipe for a founder. They need to also acknowledge some of the challenges and thereby address them. So that's why we always are saying, you know, come with the ugly slide and we can talk about that. And we will much rather invest in a founder that come with an ugly slide and show us and, and, and open up what it is that they are challenged with as well then somebody that comes super cocky and just say, yeah, yeah, this is what is going on and I'm super happy. And then the day we invest and we sit on that board and we suddenly realize, oh my God, this person had no clue. Then it's going to be a really rough ride because then you lost trust. And when you don't have trust to a founder, it's an uphill battle. Do they, do they uh, have to have a clear business plan? Uh, how to earn the money in the in, in the end? No, that's a good uh, question. So basically, the way we we describe it is at pre-seed, they're coming with you know an idea. They formed a team. They're um, you know building maybe a, a simple prototype so to test out the basic assumptions. But apart from that, they don't have much more than that. There's a huge a level of risk, and hence the checks are also much smaller. At seed stage, they do come with a well-working prototype, they can show some of the initial numbers. And the key there at seed stage is to prove product market fit. At seed stage, where we're looking to invest between 750 or a million dollars, or even $2 million together with others, it's essential that we can see that they've found a market and that the users like that. With the money we're then uh, they're raising, they can use that to really put uh, much more firepower through that and, and become a commercial company. At that time, they actually don't need to make money. We, it's like they can talk about how they are planning to make money, but they, it's not a requirement. A Series A, that's where we want to show, like, this is not longer a test. They have 
like kicked out all the the kinks in 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 the product and so on now it's all about like really rapid growth and where we also investing a much higher scale so total rounds are often between five to ten million dollars that we invest uh in, in that size at series a but you do this because you missed something when you were a founder hmm. what did you miss actually yeah no i think it i i think the core here is that when we meet with founders they should recognize and we uh, emphasize that we were in the same shoes as they were and we spent a great deal of time in uh, making sure that they get the proper feedback and uh, and they actually can um, you know even though we say no they should be very clear why we said no so they can learn from that and hopefully even come back later on with having addressed some of the issues that we were concerned about and what we believe is that we we want to step it up a notch uh, where we with the experience we have from this founders collective of experienced founders that we can provide a value add where the new next generation don't make all the mistakes that we made uh, and i think that's key for the success going forward but you seem like a successful guy <laughs> and you you're talking about mistakes so can you mention some of those mistakes and and uh, some of the hardship you had uh, in your ventures yeah no absolutely i think being an entrepreneur in general is um, you're taking a ton of risk all the time and your every day is filled with decisions and you know every time you make a decision there's a 50% chance that this is what's the wrong decision and for sure uh, throughout everything i've done i can see i've taken risk i have made mistakes many of them of the mistakes have turned into failures but i've learned from it and that's key on doing that like as an example when i uh, started a company called memo lane which was um, uh, a next generation of social media we were all focused on web and when we had at one point of time the conversation within our team should we go mobile which year was this we are back in 2010 okay like yeah. the iphone was launched in 2008 people are still very much uh, centered around web but there is a shift happening right there's a huge trend of everybody going mobile and i have a conversation with my co-founder around going mobile i came from mobile with skype and so on but again i don't write code so my co-founder and i we discussed that and eventually we came to the conclusion we stick to web uh, and and that was his decision was it uh, was it a conflict there it was it was um his argument of why we should stay with web i thought was valid i also was pushing for web uh, for mobile for sure but also given the competences we had our team we felt there were some things we wanted to prove and it was faster to to prove it on web so i wouldn't say it was his f uh, mistake or my mistake i was just like we made a decision we went on web and that was a big mistake right because we could see that uh, 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 you know other players like path at that time went uh, straight on mobile and had a better traction than we had so in hindsight we should have done that what happened then so what happened was that a year after we launched 
uh, on the 17th of September 2012, my phone just goes crazy. It's like on text messages, on Messenger, on everything. Eric, have you seen this? Mark Zuckerberg up on stage talking about Facebook timeline. And uh, Facebook timeline was basically a 100% ripoff of what we were doing at Memo Lane. Whoops. So when you see, for example, if you're on Facebook, that it reminds you, here's what you did five years ago. That's exactly the type of, of service that we were offering. Uh, at that time, it didn't exist. With Facebook coming along, it changed the game. We had 80% of our users came from Facebook and we could see a, a drastic drop in our user acquisition following that. And then it's like, what do you then do, right? Yeah. And uh, being in Silicon Valley, that's a good thing, right? Because then there's many other companies that look at Facebook and say, hey, we want to compete with them. And that's opened up a number of conversations with the likes of Google, with Twitter, and, and so on. We eventually sold to HP. Okay, you sold it, but uh, what happened afterwards? So I stayed along uh, at HP. Yeah, but, but with the company. Yeah, you stayed. Yeah, with the company uh, and where we're integrating uh, that with HP services and what they wanted to use it for. Uh, and after a year, I, I, I left. And I think that's a, a, a path that many founders, uh, they, they go through. You're not the guy that stays at, a, at the corporate. I think there's definitely, once you've become a founder, it's difficult to be in a big corporate environment where there's a lot of politi politics. And of course, when I think the biggest challenge we had as a team was before Memolane was one and all, right? Priority number one, this is what we're doing. And suddenly we found that everything we wanted to push through would be, you know, prioritized different compared to what else was in happening in that organization. And hence it's like, okay, uh, if it's not a priority, why should we then keep on uh, pushing for it? And is it difficult for a founder to suddenly have a have a boss? No, I, I think I don't think so. It it shouldn't be uh, as long a long time we aligned. Uh, at some time it might change, and then you should just realize that and not you know picking a fight that has no bearing, right? Uh, what has been your most difficult moment during your uh, founder career? I think one thing that I think we should recognize again, it's like what describes a good founder in general, as I mentioned before, founders are not afraid of taking risk. They're not afraid of getting a beating. Often you will see the founders have, when you look at their personality, a very even keel. What do I mean by that? Um, when you have a success, you're like, yeah, that's great but you don't celebrate for a year, you know, a week. And then, you know what, because you constantly are thinking what's next out there. But at the same time, when you get a strong punch in your stomach, you don't like start crying and, you know, weep and, and bury yourself. No, you say, that's it. You just brush it off. So what I often, when I meet with founders, I tell them, try to remember to celebrate your successes. And remember to stop and enjoy it because you are, we often are too fast to go through. To your question about like what has been my uh, toughest moment, I think obviously when you when you invest so much time and effort and you make so many sacrifices around a an idea that you have, 
and then realizing that it didn't materialize to the vision you have, you need to, you know, be able to stay strong and say, okay, that was it onwards, upwards, and not like, you know, dig yourself down in a hole. And that, that's, that's difficult in Scandinavia, isn't it? Yeah, no, there's definitely, there's a, a, a definitely uh, some culture in, uh, in Denmark that and in the Nordics in general in Scandinavia that we as, 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 as a society, we hate failure. Everybody is perceived, you know, as a loser if they have a failure. And, and it's very much, uh, you know, it's interesting in the Nordic voc vocabulary, we have a word that everybody knows what is skadefull, right? Uh, Schadenfroh in, in German. We know exactly what it means. And, and so many people are powered by that. It's really awful, right? But all the gossip uh, magazines and newspaper, they are filled with skadefull articles. It's all about that, right? And of course, Yandelo is, is, is on top of that. But really what drives me and what is one of the key things of why I have started by founders is I've realized what makes me happy is helping others to succeed. And we don't have a word for that. It's the opposite of skadeful. It's glædesfuld. It's like being happy, seeing others succeed, right? In Buddhism, it's called mudita, right? And for me, this is really a core message that I would like to bring forward to us here in the Nordics that we should think about how can we help anyone out there to be successful because we will recognize, realize that we actually ourselves become happy by helping others. When, when you have made your failures, uh, hasn't it been difficult to explain from a, for friends uh, outside the core? Uh, about failure, do you do you like cover it up in a way? Or? I think I think this is this is a, a good question. Exactly, you should embrace it. You should just go straight out and say, "Yeah, it didn't work out as we wanted, and we onwards upwards. That's it." And not like saying I can't talk about it and so on. It's much better to just take it out in the open. In general, what I experience is anything where you know there's a challenge, like face it. And 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 bring it out in the open because obviously it often ends up uh, being a positive because you have many others that can relate to it come out and say hey I was in the same situation. When it comes to the investors and by founders, I guess have you had any like bad experiences with uh, with former investors that that actually brought you to where you are at the moment? I think both. What we're seeing is that some of the most uh, successful uh, investors are uh, previous founders. If we look at Lifeline in Finland, if we look at uh, Reid Hoffman with Greylock, uh, we if Mark Andreessen with Andreessen Horowitz, it's uh, like some of the most uh, successful VCs come with a founder background. So that is one thing. Secondly, I also feel that it's much more solid when we as founders can meet with other founders and provide them feedback versus somebody that's never tried to do a startup and is sitting there and talking about like, hey, this will not work because of this, this and that, right? I think we can talk with a much uh, stronger base of knowledge uh, and hence provide much more value. And uh, again, this is why 
we spend a lot of time and you will like to see much more coming out of, of what we're doing with by founders and the reason why we're here on the ship in the middle of the ocean is really to be able to connect people at a different level and be able to leverage that network to help the next generation of founders by being able to hey you have this problem i know exactly this person that can help you and thereby making sure that they have fewer make fewer mistakes have fewer failures and that they can build their successes to a much higher degree if i'm an uh, i'm a founder and uh, mm -hmm. i got the investments from you yeah. uh, May I then sit down with Niklas Sendström and, and you and get the personal advices on how I do things or how is it? Yeah. What, so what are you concrete? Yeah, doing? no, exactly. So what we do is basically across the board, if take a, a company like Peergrade, uh, which is a very innovative uh, education platform uh, and is, is really transforming the way that students and, and schools are using a platform to grade and get much better feedback. So when David, the founder, uh, came to us, one of the things, the first thing we did in our Founders Collective, we have a, a really experienced guy called Peter Hasbeck that does iMotions. He's based in Boston. And they are 20% or more, actually, of actually 80% of their sales is to uh, universities and so on. So he knows that space so well. So we put them in contact. One is, of course, Peter could give us some insight whether he felt the peer grade was a good investment and where they were heading. But the second one was really to try to help David as well to have a wingman. And, uh, and as we invested, then also we brought Peter to really sit alongside David and now peer grade is moving to Boston. How do you actually find the co different companies? That, that's also interesting. The strength of our founders collective, the number one thing we ask for all our founders that have invested in the fund is to bring forward great founders that they meet with. And this is the thing, you know, when Johan Brand and any other else meet with a great founder and say, hey, I wish I could do something for them. They can, by just forwarding them to us, we can really like take them on a journey and, and, and help them scale uh, internationally. Have you invested in any Norwegian companies? So yes, we have. We are super excited to have invested in uh, Hans, Sarah and uh, Sandra uh, that started uh, Safety Wing, which is a um, insurance platform for the gig economy. And um, the way it worked was exactly a great uh, example of how, how you know, we operate um, to our, our good friends at by founders uh neil murray who runs um at the nordic web uh he he uh, reached out and uh, said hey we should take a look at safety wing uh, and it's at the same time uh cern who's part of curasense which is another portfolio companies he actually they live together uh sandra and, and cern in san francisco also recommended we talk with with uh, with with uh safety wing and and then i started uh, reaching out and and have we had a very good conversation, very impressed about that team and how they operate. In what way? So um, the fact is that they worked together before, which is a strong signal, right? That they have a track record together. Uh, secondly, they complement each other very well. Uh, Sarah, very technical. Hans is, is a lawyer. Uh, and, uh, and Sandra is a great product uh, uh, builder. But you you say that you are trying to build uh, a bridge between Silicon Valley and the Nordics and yeah. the Baltics. Yeah. Uh, why do we need that? 
what we are it's like a little bit like the Israeli model like in general our uh, geography here is too small in itself so to su- succeed you actually need to come out to a larger market and prove shows that if you're able to bring it to the US uh, then you have a much higher likelihood of becoming a global success uh, we see that French and German uh, and even British startups often you know are self-sufficient in their own country and never make it across border while like Danish, Swedish, Finnish, Norwegian uh, and, and Estonian founders the, like have really become successful because they very quickly made the move to the US like Pipedrive, like Spotify, like Skype uh, and uh, Unity and Sendesk and so on. Every investor will say that uh, he or she has a network in Silicon Valley, but do you really have it? Yeah, I've lived there for eight years and um, we've invested tremendous uh, in that geography. Crandom is doing the same and we are seeing a number of other European funds have that strong tie and it really helps. I'm not saying that we are sourcing deals, but the fact is we made nine investments. Of the nine investments, four of them are already in the US, three of them in San Francisco, two of them have been through YC, uh, Y Combinator. So so there's like, it's no longer a never happening. It's it's more often the rule that they are here in the US. And we hope and we believe that we can prove a lot of value by extending that network when they're coming over, that we can be that bridge, helping them to build up momentum in the US. And once ready, then raise an even bigger round for some of our, our partner VCs. That's going to be exciting. Uh, I just want you guys, folks out there, to uh, hear on my little disclaimer because Johan Brandt, he invested in Shifter. So that's important to have in this podcast. <laughs> uh, and he is a part of BuyFounders, mm. as you heard. I think we have to end here because we are actually sitting in a workshop or a, uh, where I have all the tools at Christian Radic and the captain was uh, just here to tell us to leave. We uh, got kicked out. Yeah, we got kicked off. Thank you, Eric, for joining us and uh, hope to see you on board again. Thank you.